Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. I am Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard. Sorry for my gravelly voice right now. Um, y'all, it has been a week. It has been crazy. Thank you for your patience as we push this episode out a little bit late. Um, everyone has been so busy and sometimes life gets in the way of the scheduled interviews. Um, this was a week when I had to work on my patience and my flexibility skills. Um you know, and try and be creative. And I'm really fortunate that at the end of the day, we have a great interview with a wonderful woman. But first, let me tell you a little bit about the Women's Sports Museum Gala. It was such a wonderful event. Um, the trailblazers that were honored included Donna Orender, Justine Siegel, the IAWA, and Lauren Holkamp Sterling. Um, there were so many women... Uh, women there and and just people generally supporting women in sports i loved every second of it and i'm just so proud that the first event or thing that ltpf has sponsored was this event Um, on top of that i had a conference for the first half of this week which had me running around from session to session and networking and getting vendor swag obviously Um, and i spoke on a panel there and it was Packed. The room was overflowing almost. We got such a great response. Um, it was a room full of lawyers, um, in-house lawyers. So people who are just, you know, amazing. And I shared my story about mental illness in my family and with myself and um, shared tangible information for people to get help or to help others. And It felt raw and vulnerable up there at times speaking about this um, in front of that group of people. But I think that's what made it resonate with people. And so I feel, I don't know, a little proud of myself and that has nothing to do with the pod. But I don't know. It just it was a, a really great moment. I've gotten a lot of messages on LinkedIn and um, and Twitter from it. And people were, you know, stopping me for the rest of the time there. And I just... I don't know. I just wanted to share that with y'all. Also, now this is related to the pod. You guys, I was recognized. Well, my name was by a listener in like a crowd, a random crowd. So I was at one of the events on the first evening um, and talking with a group of people as one does. And when I introduced myself to a lovely woman named Claire and when I said my full name, she said, I listen to your podcast. I love it. And it was my first like in the wild listener thing. And I'm, I don't know, I'm just shocked and humbled by it. And it made my night. Um, I can't believe any of you listen to this. So thank you so much. Um, Zoe is likely to say hi just so you all know because she's like rubbing up against the microphone right now she missed me i think um tonight's in today's interview this week's interview is with anna crafa johnson um Anna is a young woman on the rise and pun intended in the sports industry. She is the vice president of events and programming for the Ross initiative in sports for equality, which is also known as rise. Now you see my cool little pun. Um, She is a community engagement and experiential 
experiential, wow, marketing professional, passionate about the intersection of sport, community impact, and philanthropy. Her career path shows her commitment to utilizing sports for good and like true good. Um, She's previously held positions with the Lakers, NFLPA, a certain Tampa team, the Raiders, um, the Pac-12, and UMCA Sports. She is full of tidbits in this interview for people trying to figure out their place in the sports industry. One of my favorite things that she says is, you know, you've got to just try a bunch of different things. And it's really great to have diverse experiences in your career. Um, I had a lot of fun with this because Anna is one of my favorite people. Um, We've previously worked together and I'm just so proud of her. So please enjoy this interview with Anna Karefa Johnson. Hi, Anna. Hey, Bobby Sue. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so honored that you would consider to include me and as one of your, I think I'm one of your OG fans. Um, (laughs) I am very excited. Oh, good. Well, um, you know, you listen to this, so you know the first question. It's going to be, how did you fall in love with sports? Wow. Okay. How did I fall in love with sports? That is a great question. Uh, Well, as you know, I'm from California. I'm a California girl through and through. And growing up, I fell in love with sports by watching the Lakers, like the Showtime Lakers, Magic Johnson. Um, I remember, like, my family being really excited about the team and just watching games with my dad and my brother. Um, My dad is actually not from the U.S. He's from Trinidad, but he, but he loves basketball, so we always watch basketball games. Um, and he also is really into track and field, so we used to watch a lot of track meets um, and actually would um, sort of run together and do just participate together in like being fans of sport in general. Um, but I particularly remember watching a lot of track meets um, and really falling in love with the Lakers and Magic Johnson. His number 32, which followed me into elementary school. And uh, <laughs> when I pretended to play, when I pretended to play basketball, I was number 32. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that I fell in love with sports just as a fan, uh, watching it on TV in LA and just being really excited about the Lakers. So that was the first sort of spark, um, you know, that led into a career. So I'd say first as a fan and, and as an, an LA girl. Um, did you play, did you play sports, you know, besides the pretending to play basketball? Did you, um, did you participate in any other sports? You know, that's a great question. I did. I tell people that like (laughs) my heart was in it, but my body wasn't because I wish so badly that I was an amazing athlete. Um, I was not an amazing athlete, but I tried very hard. So I did did play (laughs) basketball, um, I'm 5'10", 5'11", so I'm really tall. So people put me in basketball. Um, and actually, interestingly, when I first started playing, I loved the game and I understood the game and I wanted to be so good at it. But I think also as sort of an adolescent and being tall and being one of the tallest girls you know, in the class and tallest people in the class, 
I think I, I kind of psyched myself out of really leaning into being, uh, you know, an aggressive, strong athlete. So I was kind of like, I wanted to be like a mini shack, but like, I also wanted to be like super short sometimes. So it was kind of like, <laughs> kind of a struggle, um, that I eventually worked through. Uh, but, um, yeah, I played basketball. And then when I went, was in high school, I, um, Actually, before that, in eighth grade, this is a very true story that I'm very proud of, and I tell people all the time. <laughs> we like in very true grade, stories. We like very true no, stories. This is, this is so <laughs> true. You can Google it. It's like my only athletic achievement. In eighth grade, in the city of Long Beach, which is a big city in California, I was the fifth fastest, fifth, number five, fastest girl in the 200 meters in, the, in middle school, so sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, which is actually an amazing accomplishment. Um, I think like I, I still remember the medal. I actually still have the scrapbook with my medals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I placed like in the preliminaries, I think I placed like first in my first race and like each meet it got more competitive and I started placing like lower and lower, but I will never forget my first race. Like when my mom came to watch me and I didn't really know that I was like decent, but I was pretty fast. Like, like I said, I liked track and I liked, you know, watching and, you know, thought I was super, super fast. Um, and I remember finishing my race and being so tired and like thinking that like that second hundred, my like legs were literally jelly. And I remember finishing and going up into the stands and like, being like, mom, I, I won. My mom was there and she started crying and she goes, you were just so fast. Like I never knew you could be so fast. And it was so sweet. And then like poor mom, like every meet after that, I was slower and slower because the girls were better and better. But <laughs> I do claim the title of fifth fastest girl, Long Beach Unified School District, sixth to eighth grade, I believe 1997, maybe 1998. I have to get the date right. But oh yeah, my gosh. Track. True story. I'll send you a picture later to prove it. Uh, yes. And we'll, it. we'll put it on the, on the website if you allow me. <laughs> finally, my glory days. <laughs> I I'm super excited. Um, but yeah, so I did track. And then in high school, I did track as well. And I sprinted my first two years. And then I like really, I like to say, like, grew into my adult body. And so by the end of um, high school, I was throwing things. And I started out like running and I ended like, you know, hurling shot puts. But, right. you know, it's all good. Um, but yeah, I've always been a fan. And like I said, my heart has been in it but my body has not always cooperated as far as my athletic prowess (laughs) it's such a good way to to describe it too I remember um you know you know that I ran and like at one point I was starting to get burnt out so I wanted to try other things and I really thought that maybe I could do like high jump or hurdles and like my inability to have any sort of coordination (laughs) Was yeah, there's a lot that goes into that, like epic. technique. It's yeah. not as easy as it looks. No. Yeah. So that that I tried in in indoor track, and my coach was just like, "I'll let you try it," but I'm just. <laughs> Thanks for running. I've Thanks seen you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, you you grew up in California. You went to college in California, but you moved to Massachusetts for a period of time. I did. So I, I went to high school in Massachusetts. Why did I, that happen? Um, people ask me that all the time. It's like, I remember when I first made the decision to go to boarding school or, you know, along with my 
mom made the decision to go to boarding school. And I remember telling all my friends in eighth grade, like, yeah, I'm not going to be going to Poly, which is like pretty well-known high school in Long Beach, which would have been the high school that I attend would have attended. Um, and telling all my friends at the end of eighth grade, like, yeah, I'm not going to Poly. I'm going to this school called Northfield Mount Hermon. They're like, what's that? A good question. I don't really know, but <laughs> you know, it's an independent school in Massachusetts. And my mom had gone to that school um, for one year. Um, and so she knew about the school and everybody thought like, what did you do? Like, why is your mom sending you to boarding school? And it's like, well, no, I like, I didn't set anything on fire. I'm actually a really great kid. Um, but I went, I think for a lot of reasons, I think, um, mainly it's an amazing gift that my mom gave me because she knew just my personality type. And I come from a large family. I have four siblings. I'm the oldest girl. I have an older brother, but And I love him dearly, but I consider myself the oldest child Um, (laughs) and just have always been super like responsible and, you know, not to pat myself on the back, but I was one of those kids that was like, I was like a mini mom. I was like a mama number two. And I think my mom really wanted to allow me the space to just not have to worry about other people and to like learn who I, who I am and, um, gain independence. And, you know, I was there for four years. I was there from 14 to 18 um, and made some amazing friends, like lifelong friends and learned so much about myself. And, you know, as a 14 through 18 year old being 3000 away, 3000 miles away from your family, like can be challenging at times. But I think in a lot of ways, um, I owe my experience at NMH, right? I owe my, my relationship with my mom now to my experience at NMH because, um, I would call her like regularly and, you know, write because I'm pretty sure we had email, but it was like, <laughs> I don't even, I don't even remember like what the email situation was, but I remember <laughs> writing her letters and like, you know, waiting in the hallway phone to call her like as much as I can. And like to this day, I call, I talk to my mom every single day and at least like, hopefully twice a day, but at least once a day. And I'm like, she's literally my best friend. Um, we're like golden girls for life. Um, and I think that's because like, I never kind of went through that phase where you like slam the door and like, you know, run upstairs because your mom has grounded you because I kind of got to go through all of that stuff away from home. So yeah, I'm a huge proponent of boarding school. I think it's amazing, especially for, um, young girls and young women. I think if you find an environment that's nurturing, um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's able to push you not only academically, but kind of give you that space and independence to figure things out on your own. Like, it's a huge, huge gift. It's not for everybody, but mm-hmm. it's great for me. As you all heard, I was at a conference this week and my shoulders are killing me from lugging around my laptop, all of the swag that the vendors threw at us in my tote bag. And it's becoming clear to me that I need a new bag that will fit all of my work stuff, plus the extras that I need throughout the day in an organized manner. I love super organized bags. Holly and Tanager's co-founders had a similar problem and thankfully created some gorgeous bags as a solution. Like, beautiful bags, y'all. They are now introducing the Professional, an extraordinary backpack designed to take you from here to everywhere with luxurious style and effortless preparation with a well-organized interior and a suitcase handle sleeve, which is so great when you're traveling. It has ultra-wide shoulder straps that adjust to fit up to 28 inches long, which would have been perfect while I was 
running all over the place this week, and a 17-inch interior padded laptop sleeve. There are a ton of other interior pockets for all of your organizing fantasies. Makes me so happy. And if you're not feeling the backpack look, it easily converts to a stylish crossbody. In addition to the professional backpack tote, Holly Antanagers offers other extraordinary everyday handbags you don't see every day. As a listener of Leveling the Playing Field, you get 15% off your first order. Visit hollyandtanager.com slash LTPF and use the code LTPF at checkout. That's hollyandtanager.com slash LTPF and use LTPF at checkout. What did your parents do for work when you were growing up? So my father was an urban planner. He worked in the city of Linwood um, and worked on a variety of projects there that relates to urban planning and development. Um, my father actually passed away when I was eight. So for the first eight years of my life, I had both parents um, in the house and, and very much remember just being around my dad at, in, in his office in Linwood and, and, no, not really getting it because I was only eight when he passed, but knowing that he was a person who was committed to community development and to creating communities. Um, Linwood is a predominantly, uh, is a, a community of color um, and him choosing to work there and to devote his talents to developing that community. I think it's definitely something that's stuck with me my whole life. Um, I don't think my I... mom... I don't think I, so like you and I have known each other for a few, for a few years now. And I don't think I knew that, um, about your dad. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, you, not- you, you always talk about your mom and I think I just kind of figured something had happened. How did he pass? So he passed away. He had a, uh, a essentially his heart stopped. And then looking back, he was 42 when he passed away. Um, and then after he passed, uh, discovered that he had a, a viral infection when he was younger. Um, neither one of my parents were born in the United States. My father was born in Trinidad and grew up in South America and Suriname, and then later in the Netherlands. So he was actually a Dutch citizen and uh, moved here from uh, the Netherlands after he met my mom and they got married. Uh, but, uh, you know, through the process of investigating the cause of death, found out that he actually he had a virus that weakened his heart muscle and so essentially his oh. heart just stopped it wasn't like a cardiac arrest but you know just like right. heart failure um so that's how he passed uh and another reason why I love my mom and I'm obsessed with her is because <laughs> my dad was 42 when he passed and I believe my mom was let's see she's five years younger so what's that 37 37, 30, yeah, 37, 38. So she had had my youngest sisters are twins. Um, they were seven months old and my dad passed away. My mom was 30. What do we say? 37 or 38. Yeah. So literally like a couple of years older than I am now um, with five kids. And she handled it with such just grace and love and was able to raise all five of us and, I mean, you can never fill the void of not having a parent in the in the home. But I think my mom is just amazing because had that, you know, God forbid, if something like that happened to me, I don't even know how I would pick up the pieces and carry on. And not only did yeah. she do that, but she 
she raised, I mean, maybe with the exception of myself, although I think I'm pretty amazing. You're, um, you're <laughs> fucking fabulous. So. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, but yeah, she raised five awesome kids. So she's my superhero woman, person, human. And That's one day awesome. I hope that she writes a book for the world. Here's how great she is. But yeah. So I think you originally asked me what my parents do. No, I know, but I'll, hold on. So, um, you know that my dad passed when I was eight, right? Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. So that's why I'm kind of stuck on this um, for a minute. Yeah, yeah. My dad had a brain aneurysm. He had custody of my sister and I. My sister's a couple years younger than me, um, but I was eight, and she was basically five at the time. And oh yeah. Oh Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm so sorry to hear that. And it's not a great thing to have in common, but well, right. maybe that's why we're so... Like, I was just thinking maybe that's why we connected. Yeah. <laughs> and and the hyphenated last names. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you got me with a double hyphen, girl. Like, no. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, so what did your mom do? Besides raise five amazing so, children. Besides being my favorite person on the planet. She is a physician. Um, she started uh, in family practice and now she actually works in hospice medicine. So she works oh, wow. on the management side and also in, in patient care. And I think, you know, besides the fact that she's an amazing human and an amazing doctor, I think her life experience really enables her to be really, really good at hospice work and kind of helping people work through um, sort of that final transition. And she does it again with such grace and compassion. And I mean, she'd hate for me to say it, but like, I know that many of her patients, if not all of them, and I've heard from some of them just love her and she's, she's just so loving and, and caring in that really, really tough time for people and their families. And she's also an amazing doctor to boot. So I mean, I don't know if you're catching a theme here, but my mom's amazing. Yeah. Like a lot of the, Oh, you remember I would like, you'd say something like I'm going home and having dinner with my mom. And I'd look at you and be like, what What are you doing? Why do you like your mom so much? (laughs) I'm like, now I get Uh, it. (laughs) Not only did I have dinner with her, but you lived with her. Tampa, yeah. the best part about being in Tampa was living with my mother. And I literally wish I could go back to that, even though I am in my approaching my mid thirties and it may be slightly unhealthy, but I've never been happier. I, yeah. Movie dates, wine dates, movie dates, happy hours. <laughs> but I think that's so special. Yeah. That's such a special thing, you know, and my, my, my joking with you is always like, you know, part laced with jealousy because I have a very different relationship with my mother, but, um, but I do, you know, it, a lot of pieces are being put together as we talk, which I love, um, because as great as like we get along and, and we chat here or there, I think we, there, you know, there, we didn't always go super personal in some of our discussions. Um, so this is really cool for me to hear, um, when you were in boarding school, um, did they have sports to play or no? Did you forget? How oh, sorry. I, yeah. 
the track. I mean, my illustrious track career that oh my happened gosh. at boarding school. How did uh, I? Yeah, we just so- had this conversation three minutes ago. Sorry. Um, okay. I mean, it's all good. It's all good. I'll, I'll pull up the receipts for you later. I'll show you the yeah. pictures. Well, but, and um, I, I think I told you once that um, we ran the same cross country course that the the girls from your school did. Um, I was going to say that the course for, that I never saw because I can't run more than 800 meters. <laughs> for like some giant event. It was intense. There were some hills. Yeah, it's so beautiful up there. You're so lucky you're from that area. It is nice. I miss fall right now. It's so bad. <laughs> it's still 80 something down in Tampa and like humid. And I don't feel bad for you. I know. I I know. Um, Okay. How did you come to the decision that um, you wanted to go to USC? Okay. I, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed about this at all, but love (laughs) basketball. (laughs) Wait, 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 stop it. The movie. No, no, I'm not joking. The movie love and basketball basketball had a huge impact on my decision to go to USC. Now, mind you, I was living 3,000 miles away in Massachusetts. I definitely knew in my heart that I wanted to come home. I wanted to be in California. Um, I originally had my heart set on going to Stanford uh, because I went to like a prep boarding school. Um, That was kind of like the track, you know, like it was, that was sort of a part of the process, like applying to the, you know, competitive traditional liberal arts schools, um, you know, IVs and, close to Ivy is like Stanford. And so before I even did my research, I was just like, okay, well, I want to go to California and Stanford is like the closest to an Ivy that I know of in California. So that's where I want to go. Um, and that was kind of it. And then love and basketball came out <laughs> and I saw that and I was like, okay, this is LA. Like where I'm from Quincy and Monica, like couldn't be cuter. Monica was number 32 after magic. I loved magic. Like I really felt like Monica and I were kindred spirits. And (laughs) maybe if I went to USC, not only would I have an amazing education, but I would also obviously meet my Quincy and just, it would just be the best. So like that was my fantasy. And then going into college visits, uh, when I actually had a chance to visit a lot of schools, um, believe it or not, since I'm, I am from L.A., but neither one of my parents were born here, which I talked about. My mom is half American, but she didn't grow up in um, on the West Coast. And growing up in L.A., uh, we didn't really, like, I don't think I even knew anybody that really went to USC. And it wasn't really, like, in the, you know, my mom went to college on the East Coast. So it's just, it, we definitely weren't one of those like USC families and there's a million of them right. for good reason um, in California and, and around the world. But like that just wasn't in my, my scope of understanding or knowledge or anything. So when I did my school visits and I walked on campus at USC, I was like, this is it. Like I saw the cruisers, um, the greatest marching band in the history of the universe performed. <laughs> Um, I was just all about it. And I had gone and on top of that, like the academics and we didn't talk about this, but like when I was in high school, um, I wanted to be Jay Adonde. Like I wanted to be a sports journalist. I wanted to be a beat writer. Mm -hmm. Um, and so 
uh, USC, the Annenberg School, has an amazing journalism program and a communication program. And in my mind, I was going to be like either a beat writer or like a sideline reporter somehow like in media, um, sports media. Uh, so I thought like what better place than USC to go and I could be like Monica and I could be close to home um, and go to the football games and get all of that like traditional, you know, college experience. Um, right. That was just very different from, you know, a prep school in New England and like nothing against you know, traditional liberal arts colleges in like on the East coast or in new England. But I kind of felt like it would be a somewhat similar experience and I really wanted something different. So, yeah, I mean, in new England, in new England, we don't have big football, right? We don't have, we've got some basketball, some hockey, but we don't have like big football and going to USC. I mean, that's clearly going to be different, right? It's going to be a different experience all around. Yeah, it was pretty great. I was there for the glory years. Oh my gosh. Um, so you went the communications route instead of going the the journalism route. Um, when you were, you know, going through the classes and, and figuring out, like, what's next, were you looking at internships and jobs at that time? Or were you like... Did you know that you were going to get an advanced degree, like, right from the get-go? Definitely not. I definitely didn't know I was getting an advanced degree from the get-go. Um, I definitely knew how important it was to get experience in the field that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that I wanted to work in sports. Like I said, I thought I wanted to be a beat writer or journalist or something like that, but wasn't exactly sure. Um, so I took the opportunity to get some exposure um to sports journalism and then I quickly realized that like while it is an admirable uh profession it probably wasn't the best one for me um but I did pursue internships all the way through college so um at first I worked for a um, agency at the time it was called the athletes agency and it was part speakers bureau part um athlete representation agency. And I did like the typical intern stuff from, you know, picking up dry cleaning to vetting databases. Nice. Yeah. It was super exciting. Um, but (laughs) you know, it was, it was great to be in that environment and kind of get a taste of, you know, what might, what the possibilities might be working in sport or being connected to sport. Um, I was very, very lucky, uh, fortunate. My, my senior year, I featured an internship with the Lakers uh, in their public relations department, which was huge. Um, so I spent an entire, yeah, I spent an entire season uh, with the Lakers. This was post-Shack. Um, wasn't the best season, but it was an amazing experience. So wh- when I interned there, I did everything from transcribing quotes to running stats. Um, but really having an opportunity to work in the front office of a professional team. And like, on top of that, like my dream team, um, right. the reason why I fell in love with sports, like getting to be in that building, um, learning from the people who work there and have worked there um, for years. And I think for me, that was a, a pivotal moment, moment in my deciding to really commit to this. Cause I was like, this is a dream and I did it. Like 
I can do this. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility. You just have to go for it. And, you know, I still remember my internship, uh, my interview for the internship, um, where, you know, I kind of, I go into interviews just wanting to have conversations. Like I've always kind of taken that approach, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it was like my interview for, you know, getting into high school or my college interview, or, you know, I just, I don't do great when I rehearse. So I try to kind of think about what I might need to know or touch on, but don't get too deep in the, in the weeds as to like how I will articulate that. Or, because I really want people to kind of know who I am and get a, get a sense of my personality and not be super nervous. And, but I remember being like petrified, like <laughs> when I got there, I was like, Oh my God, like, I'm at the Lakers training facility and now I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to have to like convince these people that I can do this job. And quite frankly, like as a senior in college knew what the job would be, but didn't really know. Right. Like, right. Right. I had no idea. Um, and I just remember having, the, you know, having our interview and being prepared to sort of speak to all of my experience and like, you know, my comfort in writing and, you know, X, Y, and Z. And like, I literally just had a conversation. Like, I think, I think he definitely asked me about like my family and my dad. And like, I just had a 20 minute conversation where I was just like, this is me. And like, I love this team. Um, and I want to be here. Like, I want to learn from you all. And I remember leaving and I called my mom, of course. Um, I was like, how did it go? Like, oh, I don't think it went that well. Like, it was really hard. Like, I didn't, I didn't really get to talk about the stuff that, like, I've done. I just really, I just talked to them. And she was like, well, that's, that's a good sign. Like, you know. Yeah. Why do you think it went badly? And I was like, well, because, like, I just didn't have any indication. And I also was like, they don't know what I've done. I was super paranoid that I wasn't going to get offered the position. Um, and I actually had applied for both the CR position and a, and the PR position. And I remember when they called me back, um, John Black was uh, the director of PR at the time. He's a legend in, in Los Angeles and in the PR world. And of course, my naive self didn't really know that um, at the time. <laughs> but um, he called me and he was like, so like, do you, wanna, do you want the CR internship or do you want the PR internship? I was like, hello? Yeah. Do you want the CR internship or do you want the PR internship? I'm like, uh, PR? He's like, good, because you have it. (laughs) What? Like, is this life? I'm glad I said PR and not CR because, I mean, you know, it was just so surreal. But I think for me, that entire experience, you know, like I said, being in the front office of a professional team, you know, being president every game. Uh, I was a part of an internship class of five and I was the only woman um, in that group of five. And there were some unique um, challenges that that presented, particularly in the PR space back in that, like back in those days, um, you know, there were certain things that I, I couldn't do as a PR intern that other, my colleagues could do, like go, in the locker go room. into the locker room. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I always had the coach post game, uh, transcription quotes like I would go to the coaches post-game press conference every game um, and record those quotes and and bring them back and my male colleagues would you know go in and get the player quotes and I I remember thinking like well 
I mean, I love I love the Zen Master. I love Phil Jackson, so it was all good. Um, but just <laughs> knowing that I I was proud of myself for um, you know sharing my own, but I also was very um, you know I was aware of the fact that I was a woman in this role, and there were certain things that you know I just couldn't do because of that. Um, so I think that in some ways that was sobering, and in other ways it was like I'm gonna do the best thing coach post game <laughs> quote transcriptions these people have ever seen like i'm committed to this um and it worked out great it was a really rambling story i don't even remember the actual question but um no that's yeah college college brought me to my my first dream job so you know and, working there you also kind of got a taste of what it would be like you know from a media standpoint, right? Because those are the people around you all the time um, when you're in PR and you're at all those um, games and press conferences and, you know, the PR team kind of wrangles the media, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, that was in some ways intimidating in and of itself, um, but super educational, you know, like, I remember seeing, you know, the sports anchors that I've grown up watching and it's like, Oh, I'm sitting on press row, like right behind them. Um, but right. as far as like a, a, approaching, I guess, gaining knowledge of the industry, I think that was an amazing place to start because, you know, you do get that front office experience, get to know the people in the front office, get to know, um, you know, player to a certain extent and, and coaching staff, but then also seeing that sort of interesting dynamic between, you know, media and, and a, and a pro sports team and um, getting to build relationships with media members uh, was, was great. I also just have to say that again, this is way back in the day, but my favorite part of the internship outside of like working for my dream team and going to every single Lakers home game was like the pregame meal situation. Oh yeah. Because they had amazing, amazing pregame meals. Um, so was you know, that to like sit down and was that pregame for everyone or was that media pregame? You know what? That's a great question. And to be honest, I do not remember anyone outside of the PR staff eating there, but I'm pretty sure it was open to everyone, I think. Um, but it was, it was mostly media, uh, but obviously the entire PR team um, would eat, as, eat there as well. And they had amazing, amazing food. Press food. A lot of good conversations were had. Yeah. Press food is always really like, you know, where, where I am now, we have the best in our press booth. It's like hands down. Everyone says it. It's great. And I'm fortunate that I can eat there. I was going to say, stop showing off just because you get to eat there. Like not everybody gets that. Well, that's a, that's, that's a good point. (laughs) But you're one of the chosen few, but you're right. Like the conversations are, are really interesting between the media members and, you know, um, the PR staffs. And I, I think I learned so much whenever I'm up there, um, because I'm always, Mm -hmm. you know, people are always just like really free flowing up there. (laughs) Yeah, and you see, like, the people, you know, the people behind the the stories. I'm fortunate enough that 
all of my sponsors this week are really meant to help solve problems in my life currently. Um, as I've mentioned, I was in Austin at a conference this week and the amount and the types of food that I ate, it's absurd. I need a hard reset. So this weekend, I plan on using my prep dish subscription to get me back on track. PrepDish is a healthy meal planning service. When you sign up, you'll receive an email every week with a done-for-you grocery list and instructions for prepping your meals ahead of time. You'll do your chopping and mixing ahead of time, leaving you with zero decisions to be made at dinner time. You can choose between gluten-free and paleo recipes that can all be modified in order to be dairy-free as well. You'll save time and have amazingly delicious meals like pesto pork chops with roasted mushrooms, broccoli, and tomatoes, or lemon garlic baked salmon with whole roasted carrots and asparagus. Those are on the menu for next week. Um, The founder, Allison, is offering our listeners a free two-week trial, so you should check it out. You can't beat that. Check out PrepDish.com slash LTPF for this amazing deal. Again, that's PrepDish.com slash LTPF for your first two weeks free. This is a no-brainer, and my body is going to thank me for using it this weekend. Did you do the same thing for the Ravens? I did. So um, when I graduated from high school, I moved to D.C., um, wanting to be in a new city and then also just wanting to continue to gain experience, mm-hmm. not knowing then that I would want to pursue an advanced degree. So um, I interned for the Ravens. I was a training camp PR intern, which is totally different, um, just for training camp in Owings Mills, nice, humid summer, but like um, same role, but, you know, for a football team, which is also different. And I remember there was, again, I'm dating myself, but um, amazing group of interns that I worked with who are all very successful in their own right now. Um, same with the Lakers, like all of my colleagues, have, you know, colleagues in the internship class have gone on to do things and amazing things. And they've all stayed in the sports industry for the most part. Um, but, um, I remember one of my, one of my memories from training camp was, you know, back then, like you actually delivered like the hand papers. So like (laughs) collecting, waking up at like 4am driving, you know, from the college dorm to training camp, collecting all the papers and then delivering them to like each member of the coaching staff, um, super early in the morning and getting that opportunity to kind of you know, be there to deliver the paper, but also like say good morning to Rex Ryan and like have those, you know, morning chats that just, I just felt extremely privileged to be in that position. Not, and I didn't take it for granted then, but I just remember I was actually having a conversation with a colleague um, the other day, just about clips. Um, He pulls clips from my current organization um, and just like how much easier it is, like, to see like, has Google news and, <laughs> there, like, and alerts not that we didn't have that, but like we literally scoured, like we would deliver the hard papers and we would scour like the local papers, obviously, and the national for, you know, for, you know, for them, the Ravens news. Um, but it was very, like, it was a very time intensive um, task. And now kids these days. So much easier. Um <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool to, you know, and I know you and I know your smile and I know your enthusiasm. So I can imagine that you were 
a welcomed, you know, morning person for them. Right. Like I know you are not super excited in the mornings. Like I get that, but, um, because you got to start the day with a smile, you know, and you got to do, you got to do your job and do it well. And like, you know, no matter what it is that you're doing, especially as an intern, but you know, at any level, it's like, yeah, I'm going to deliver these papers and I'm going to say good morning too. I'm going to ask you how your day is doing. And if you, if you don't feel like talking, that's good, but that's all right. But, um, you know, like committing to it, why not? Yeah. How did you, um, end up at NFLPA? So NFLPA, I've been, I've just been really fortunate in terms of like how I've gotten opportunities. I'm pretty much always just applied and interviewed for things and been lucky to get them. So, um, (laughs) NFLPA, I was, um, I was living in DC, like you said, uh, and I was working as a nanny during the day and then interning, um, in between and NFLPA is in DC. So I was like, okay, I want to continue doing the sports thing. I'm going to apply at the NFLPA. I'm going to look at like monumental sports and play at the the Redskins, just whatever was open um, in the DC area applied for and um, was lucky enough to get the communication internship position there and, and get to kind of my first taste of what a, a union is and does um, I worked on the, the, um, it was called NFL players then. I think they've rebranded it, but. The Think 450 everything. now? That could be it. Um, to be honest, I'm not hundred percent sure, but it's the, um, the marketing arm of the PA and that's yeah. where I was, was stationed and I did clips and I wrote stories on, um, current and former players and, um, you know, just got it. Got to see another dimension of the industry, and I re- I really enjoyed it. How calm stuff still? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and and then you you know you had your master's in sports industry management from Georgetown. You know, like a slacker does, and yeah, <laughs> like what? Um, what you know. How was that program for you? Like, was it's a two year program? I'm guessing. Yeah, so it is a two year program. I was actually a member of the inaugural class, so when I did it, I did it in like a full year. So we did a lot in a year. Um, since then, like after us, I think they decided, like, hey, let's go ahead and make this two years. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, I. I I decided to apply for that um, program because I had been doing the comm thing and I knew that I wanted to continue to work in sports, but I just wasn't a hundred percent sure that I wanted to continue to work in the sports communication space. So for me, it was an opportunity to learn more about the industry and the different opportunities that are available to you within it. And I think what's really unique about Georgetown's program is that all of the classes are taught by practitioners in the industry. So it really enabled me to have to develop relationships with professionals in various sectors. And then also, you know, be able to lean on them to kind of ask them for what direction should I go in? Like I knew that I, I still like writing. Um, I love people. 
uh, and I consider myself semi-creative. So for me, kind of going through going through that program enabled me to get more focused about the type of opportunities I wanted to pursue post-degree. Um, I think sometimes in, in the sports industry, because it's so competitive, and especially when you're starting out and just trying to get your foot in the door for that first, you know, full-time position, you can kind of have a tendency to apply for whatever's available, right? Like, right. If there's a tick, if there's a ticket sales opening, like I'm going to apply for that because that'll get me in the door or, you know, I don't really know anything about graphic design, but they're <laughs> hiring graphic design assistants. So let me throw my, throw my resume in the, you know, in the bowl there. And I think that I totally understand why people do that. But I think, um, for me, I wanted to pursue opportunities that were in alignment with not only my skill set, but what I ultimately saw myself doing. And for me coming out of graduate school, it was experiential marketing because it had the communication writing component. Um, marketing enables you to kind of work to, to flex that right brain creative muscle, but it's also balanced in analytics and experiential marketing is like the, I don't even know what the word is, but like, to me, it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's like my happy place because you're creating experiences um, that communicate like a brand, a brand or a, a, a athlete or whatever the case may be, like communicate their brand, like through experience and like, what's cooler than that, you know? So right. I, um, because of my work at Georgetown and because I've had amazing professors um, like Meredith Geisler, who is in PR and is a, actually, you should ask her to be on your podcast next. You should, she's amazing. Um, but she, she is a communication PR pro who's been in the industry forever and has worked with amazing clients like Grant Hill. And she worked, she started out or at one point she was in, with Stila. Anyway, she had, tons of experience um, working for brands and also with athletes. And she really was, was a key, a key part of my process as far as kind of coming to the realization that I wanted to do something experiential. Um, but I'll save that story for later. But basically um, coming out of college, I knew that I wanted to do that. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it for like a Nike or an Adidas, a big sports brand. Um, but I knew that I wanted to be in that experiential marketing place. And again, I saw a job description for <laughs> um, an event marketing agency in Los Angeles that was, I think the job description said uh, producing a multi-city tour for a prominent athlete or something like that. And I was moving out of my apartment in DC and they reached out to me and said, we'd like to interview for this position, but you need to interview in like six days. Right. And me being the, <laughs> I guess I was like 22 at the time. I was like, okay, sure. Great. I'll be there. Yes. So literally like <laughs> packed up all of my belongings, threw them in my Kia Spectra hatchback <laughs> and um, drove like convinced my sister, my little sister to come with me. And I drew, I drove from DC to LA within that time frame, so I could be there for that interview. Oh my God. And yeah, it's insane. Like looking back at it, like, why did I think that was a good idea? But I did it. Um, <laughs> and they offered me the job and uh, it was for a company called the UMCA marketing uh, that was run by a 
man friend, now friend and mentor, Damon Haley. Um, and again, super, it was an intense interview. And if you knew Damon, you would, you would know why he is like brilliant. Also goes by DH baby, which stands for dreams and hopes. He was just a very <laughs> unique, amazing, brilliant human. Um, but he's about his business. Like he, he, he wants to know like who you are. Can you do the job? Like just, it was like a very like pointed interview. I just remember like leaving there like, okay, like, and he's always like trying to, he's just so smart. So he's, he's like, I felt like he was trying to size me up and like ask me questions. Like, I can't remember now, but like, you know, if the train leaves Vegas at six, oh my God. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. those, like those kind of things where you're just like, uh, I know you know the answer, but I don't, but I think I'm supposed to show you like how my brain works now. So like, this is how I would approach this kind of thing. Um, and the answer but, is uh, purple. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. B. I choose B. <laughs> um, but, uh, anyway, long story short, I, I got the position at UMCA to help produce this tour and it ended up being, um, the LeBron James more than a game tour. So Wait. Nike was <laughs> yeah. Nike was the client. The athlete was LeBron James. So I don't know if you've heard of him. And oh my like God. to work on like a multi-city tour. So literally my first job out of grad school, I was able to travel <laughs> the United States. There was tours. We did LA, DC, New York, um, of course, Akron. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm missing one, but uh, Damon's uh, wife is also a, an event producer and she was, she was working on the project. And so I got to work with her as well. And I, my first job was like, I was in charge of food and trash. So like okay. making sure everybody was fed and making sure there were um, dumpsters at every single location. Oh, and bathrooms. And also making sure that we had <laughs> porta potties at every single event. Right. <laughs> but because of who they are and the kind of leaders that they were, we had group meetings where I was able to just learn about how they came up with these amazing concepts, like how you would pitch a concept um, and then seeing it all come to life. I mean, it was an amazing, an amazing tour um, with a lot of hilarious stories and, and amazing memories, but I'm, I will always be indebted to them because that is where I, I really learned about event production. And it started with, like I said, bathroom food um, and trash and like doing that and replicating that and, um, just being a part of that tour was amazing. And I think that's where I fell in love with actual event production. Um, I love that they and, had you, know. you in on their meetings, right? Like that's so important. Yeah, it was amazing. It's so important. I think that like, like I said, just having an opportunity to hear and learn by hearing and learn by seeing and learn by doing, like I started out doing those, you know, being in charge of those things, but as the tour progressed, was able to be involved in more and more things. And I think, again, a credit to my mom, but I just, like, I showed up and I committed to the, to that tour and I took those bathrooms really seriously. And like, I remember <laughs> um, one tour date in, in New York, I think like on our setup day, we had filled the trash and like the next day we had like 1500 people coming and like, I, I won't do the tour just, justice in describing it but 
these are amazing community events, right? So like celebrating the launch of the More Than a Game documentary, the launch of a new shoe, and creating these experiences for kids from underserved communities to get like a premium level Nike experience where they would come in and like the concepts that, you know, Damon and Diane conceived of were, you know, everything from kids would get free haircuts, right? But not just like any free haircuts, which was an actual need in the, in the community, but like you get a free haircut with a Nike swoosh. Like what's like what better yeah. experiential marketing activation is there, right? Like your parent may not be able to afford a new pair of shoes, but you're going to have a premium like shoe shine experience, right? Where the, the Nikes that you have that might, you know, they're not the newest ones. Like you're going to leave that event with having sat in like a premium leather chair and gotten your, your Nikes shine like they were new. Like these are like life changing things that they, that they did. And I got to see, and it's like, again, like that connection to commitment to community, <clears throat> to inclusivity, um, it was like, it was amazing. Like, and doing it for a major brand. I'm going on a, I'm like digressing, but no, this is great. For short, it was just like an amazing, amazing, amazing experience. And it's also where I learned that like, there's no such thing as no. And like, you can literally get anything done. You can get anything done because I was in charge of trash again. <laughs> and I remember when we got to New York city. Oh, I was telling that story. And in the build, because these are huge builds, we had filled up the, the dumpster and we had people coming the next day and we needed a place to, you know, we needed a new dumpster. And I think it was a weekend. We saw this out at like 10 o'clock and people were coming the next day. And it was like, Damon was like, you need to get a dumpster here. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, mm. it is nighttime. Like, it is a weekend. Like, how am I going to do this? And he just like looked me straight in the eye and he's like, you're going to do it. And I was like, all right, I, I am going to do it. And I called like every single freaking dumpster company in the tri-state area. Like, all, I just remember like all of them were closed. And I remember like being in the car, going back to the hotel, like almost crying. Cause I'm like, oh my God, this isn't going to happen. Like we're not going to have a dumpster, like the end of the world, because I took it so seriously. And like, finally I found some guy that came out in the middle of the night and dumped and, and dropped out a dropped a dumpster, right? Like for the right price, of course. But like right. it was a really valuable lesson that I apply even now. It's like there is no no. Like you can make you can make things happen. Anything happen. Um but again you've got to be committed and persistent. So long story short, if you need a dumpster, I'm your girl. Call me up. <laughs> I, um, do you think that, you know, that experience, because, you know, you're going into event marketing, you know, experiential marketing, and you think brands and you think like, yeah, they're going to do cool experiences, but to have that community component, do you think that that really solidified where you long-term wanted to go? Yeah, I think. Absolutely. I think part of it is just, I think part of it is just a part of who I am and like wanting to connect and help others. And, but I think that seeing the power of that sort of community connection when it's coming from a brand, like you talk about brand affinity and like, you know, Nike is a powerhouse brand, you know, everybody knows it, loves it, wears it, or almost everybody. 
Um, right. But we don't like those people. Just, That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to talk about the others. But, um, <laughs> you know, just to see how you can literally change a person's life. Like, I know it sounds, it may sound like grandiose or dramatic, but like, I can guarantee you that those children who went through that experience will never forget it. And like, providing that service, that, that opportunity, that experience, feeling that need for them is real, like regardless of what it's connected to. But when you're able to, to connect that to a brand, like not only is it like the right thing to do, but that's brand, like that's how you build brand equity, you know? And like, and seeing that um, firsthand was, was amazing. And I think there's, what I also loved about it was just the creativity that went into creating those experiences. And like when you work for clients who <clears throat> enable or empower you to, to think outside the box, like it's just, there's so many amazing things you can do. I'm like, right. how fun is that? Like get to go to work and like also make a difference. Like sign me up. No, I, I, I love it. And I think that, um, you just hit on such a good point, right? Like when you allow people to be creative and think outside the box, how like how exciting it can be with what they come up with. Yeah. Right. When, um, how did you end up at the pack 12? So I ended up at the pack 12. Did you just apply and get it again? Cause like you're you and you're awesome. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I applied for the Pac-12 job to Teamwork Online. Everybody who works in sports knows and loves Teamwork Online. Yep. Um, and at the time, I, I was with the MCA for several years and, again, loved it, forever indebted to them, learned so much. Um, but I think I was just looking for, I just, I think it's super important to diversify your experience. And I've always been the kind of person where like when I feel that yearning or that sort of tug, like I want to explore it. Yeah. Um, and because I'm, you know, somewhat nomadic in, in nature, it's like, okay, like this opportunity makes sense. Like I'm going to go for it. And like, you know, I can move, no big deal. So I, um, I applied for the job at PAC 12 and I started there as their event marketing manager. Um, lucky to get it. Um, and I, uh, I was in charge of producing events that didn't have to do with the field of play. So everything from coaches meetings to, um, our media days, uh, for, for basketball and football, uh, to work. And the big part of my job was also working on our championships. So Olympic sport championships, and then also football championship and men's and women's basketball championships. So, it was a job where I had like over 50 events that I was working on a year and they varied in, you know, size and scope. But again, like tremendous, tremendous opportunity, exposure and experience, um, you know, starting there and being able, quite frankly, to work for, in my opinion, um, <laughs> the best, like the most elite athletic conference in the nation. Uh, also, obviously, USC is a member of the Pac-12. Uh, but I mean, really, the Pac-12, like, I'm just going to go on the Pac-12 commercial for a second because they deserve it and they're amazing. But, you know, like the Pac-12 really leads the way in a lot of ways. 
um, and in spaces in collegiate athletics, but very forward thinking, very innovative. They lead the nation in Olympic sport championships. So like I was placed in this environment where I'm working on, for example, one of my favorite championships, there was working on the swimming, swimming championships where like you're literally on a pool deck with like true story, Missy Franklin. Like this is like, these are the level of athletes that Mm -hmm. I was exposed to. And what I loved about the Pac-12 was having an opportunity to learn from two amazing women leaders, um, Danette Layton, who's their chief marketing officer and Heather Vaughn, who's the vice president of marketing, who both, you know, hired me as a manager to execute these events. And each year that I worked there, it was given more um, exposure, more responsibility. And I was able to work my way up there within four years from event marketing manager to director of marketing. So once I, because of them, right. So I was able to learn from them, you know, how to produce a Pac-12 event, um, how to produce, which again, going to translate basically means excellent, high level, impeccable branding, impeccable experience, experience, just amazing events. Um, and, and that carries over from, like I said, like a coach's meeting all the way up to a major tournament, just having that level of expectation and needing to meet that certain level of excellence every day is what I loved about that job. And also having, like I said, women leaders who are, you know, kicking ass respectively, um, in a still very male dominated field, but not only are they doing that, but they're like reaching back. Like, I don't, I was so fortunate there because they saw things in me and they gave me opportunities and I didn't even really have to ask for them. Like, how lucky is that? You know, like I never, I never, you know, had that moment where I had to say like, well, you know, like, I feel like I've gotten this down and I'd really like more. It was like, all right, you did that. Like, now you're going to do this and now you're going to do this and now you're going to do this. And guess what? Like, you've done all of this. So that actually means that like, no longer are you an event marketing manager. Now you're a senior manager of marketing and you're going to do this, this, and this. And then you do that and it's like, okay, you did all that. Like, now you're going to be director of marketing. And so it's just, it's like a dream scenario. And, and, you know, having that, time and space um and being able to be affiliated with them and with that conference is definitely a defining part of my life and and of my professional path well and coming from coming from like an internship where you were the only woman right and now you know to working for this great conference um for these very powerful women you know, that had to have been a really, I don't know, like interesting moment to be like, now look at me and all the women around me. And, you know, maybe like feeling like you were in your place. Yeah. I mean, I think, I definitely think that was, that was a part of it. And also to their credit and, you know, Danette and Heather were in my department, but there's so many women in that in that office, you know, another woman, Chris Dawson, who is again, like a pioneer, uh, a woman who, you know, championed, um, title nine was a, was a division one basketball player, um, at Virginia. Like she's just like, just being in, in an environment where women are 
excelling, leading, exceeding expectation. And it's normal is what I loved about that. Like it was never like, they were never exceptions. They were just doing it, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and, and in an environment that recognized that and, um, you know, rewarded that and, and fostered that and encouraged that in other women is just like, yeah, it was amazing. There was like a moment of, oh, like, this is how it could be and probably should be like everywhere. Like, how lucky am I to be a part of this team? Literally everywhere. It should be. Yeah. Right yeah. now. Everybody, make, sh- everybody make sure you vote. Uh, we'll get to that, actually. This week's episode is brought to you by the globally ranked sports MBA program at San Diego State University. Interested in working in the business of sports? Each year, SDSU Sports MBA accepts a new class of students from around the globe to study the analytical MBA toolkit while learning the complexities of the sports business industry. The SDSU Sports MBA 18-month program offers hands-on sports industry experience combined with practical skills from expert faculty, plus access to a premier alumni network. Thinking about it? Don't wait. Applications are due November 1st. Visit sdsu.edu slash sports MBA. And what's new this week for SDSU Sports MBA? Well, the program would like to welcome Hema De Leon to the team as the new Director of Marketing for the Fowler College of Business. Hema has an extensive sports background, having previously worked for the PGA Tours Farmers Insurance Open, Fox Sports San Diego, and the San Diego Sports Commission. Hema also serves as the president of the San Diego chapter of WISE, Women in Sports and Events, the leading voice and resource for professional women in the business of sports. Welcome aboard, Hema. She's looking forward to working closely with the SDSU Sports MBA program to provide opportunities through WISE with a focus on mentorship, professional development, and networking. Don't forget, SDSU Sports MBA applications are open now through November 1st. Visit sdsu.edu slash sports MBA to learn more. Why did you make a move? You know, you you then left the Pac-12 to come to Tampa. So, yeah. Well, we all know my favorite person in the world was living in Tampa at the time. Mama. Um, mama's mom was in Tampa. Um, but I think for me, what I was yearning to get a little bit more of was just the direct sort of traditional, and this is going back to like my very first internship, right? When I applied for the CR job and the PR job, right. I've always been intrigued with, with community relations and wanted to really have an opportunity to work within a CR department um, and just see how that just to be around it, to, to gain that skill set in, in the community outreach and then to be a part of a community relations team um, at a professional, professional sport level was always a goal of mine. And so um, as much as I hated to transition from the Pac-12, I felt like having the opportunity to gain that experience would be crucial for me long-term um, because I knew, you know, along this windy road, like I always had that community outreach component. I knew that I wanted that to be a part of my, my story and a, and a part of, I knew that that's what I wanted to commit to and to work within. And I thought that an, 
in order to do that, I would want to gain that traditional CR experience. So that's what, that's what brought me to Tampa. And I applied on Teamwork Online and I interviewed and I got it. Okay. Let's just get that out of the way. Okay. So Buffy, I know you're not listening, but Buffy is the, the founder of Teamwork Online. And apparently this is just one big plug for Teamwork Online today. So you're welcome <laughs> for the free advertising, my friend. Um, and those of you who are listening, we've talked about this, you know, before, but if you're interested in working in sport, if you aren't in sport already, teamwork is a, is a great, it really is. It's a great platform to take a look at the different types of jobs that are available, right? And just to kind of look at the job descriptions and to see what, you know, piques your interest if you're not entirely sure yet. Um, and at least you can see what you should be working towards, right? Absolutely. And they send you those amazing emails. That's true. You always know what's going on. And every, um, every once in a while, you could come to an event where I'm speaking. <laughs> ooh. We just have one in, we just have one in Tampa. You got to send me those invites. You've been holding out on me. Yeah, well, it's not like you live here anymore. I would travel for you, Bobby Sue. Aww. I would travel for you. I feel so special right now. Um, you had a really um, cool niche within the, the CR department here, and that was as an affinity manager. We, I don't think we've talked much about what an affinity group is. Can you give a little bit of an explanation and, and what your role was intended for? Sure. Um, so, yes, I did have a unique niche, niche, niche. I don't know how one says that, but I think I'm going to go with niche. Um, <laughs> uh, you're so classy. You know, I just, it just sounded right. You're always, um, no, you're but, always classing everything up and I, I appreciate it. Okay, stop. But, um, yeah, so, so what I, what drew me to the role, I should say, like outside of the fact of, being able to work with an community relations department was I was coming from the marketing world. Um, and I thought that this role was a great blend of the two. So in my role, I was tasked with developing relationships with um, certain affinity groups or uh, how do I articulate this? Um, I guess for lack of a better term, it would be, specific categories of buck fans, right? So mm -hmm. people who, um, what's the best way to say this? So the biggest one um, were female fans, right? So being tasked with creating programming that was authentic to and spoke to female fans and then managing the female fan outreach program was a part of my job. And then along with that were other uh, different groups um, or, or demographics that were, um, highlighted as, you know, key components of the, of the Buccaneers fan base. And so creating programming that would speak to those groups um, was, was a part of my job and having that be community focused, uh, but then also developing, um, you know, I think it's fair to call it like fan engagement sort yeah. of strategies and programming mm -hmm. um, for the, for those groups. That was my job. So it was traditional CR, but it was also, um, marketing and dare I say it, experiential marketing. 
I would definitely say it based on some of the things that I know you put together because I had to do the contracts for. Um, Sorry about that. My bad. <laughs> No, they were great. Everything looked great. You know what happens when you let people have creative ideas? Like, you get, like, stuff you gotta do. I know. You come up with an idea, and then you have to actually execute on it, and it's crazy. Um, no, but, yeah. you know, I, you know, you you always had some, had fun ideas, and I, you know, even if I rolled my eyes at the time, I loved it. I was, I was gonna say, don't paint a pretty picture for your listeners now. We all know you didn't always love me when I came into your office with things to put in your magic inbox. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know. We're in a better place now. Yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine. Um, no, I, 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 you know, I think, I think our fans loved it. So, um, and then you, you left me. And so can we, can we talk about why you, well, not like, not like why, because like, you know, you don't always want to leave people, but you, you found this really amazing opportunity with the Ross initiative in sports for equality. And did I say that right? You did. You nailed it. It's amazing. Um, and we all like everyone knows it as rise, but you know, there's this really great opportunity. If you tell me you applied on teamwork online again, I swear to God. Oh my um, God, you did. did. No, I did not. They didn't, they actually did not post the position on teamwork online. They posted it on their website. Okay. And um, yeah, this is actually different. I'm going to allow you because I first, became aware of Rise when I was working at the Pac-12. So I was familiar with them prior to, in their first year of of existence, really. Um, So, I mean, yes, this opportunity was one that eventually I applied for online. How did... um, But I had been been following them and their work since I knew knew about them. What... How did you find out about them when you were working with the Pac-12? Because I think that'll also give a good explanation of what it is. Sure. So, um, that's just my cat sneezing. Rise, Jesus, that is awesome. It's almost as cute as your your uh, last part. <laughs> um, but uh, what were you asking me? How did I? Oh, so when Rise launched. Um, one of their, and this is before my time, so you'll have to excuse me if I'm not completely accurate on this, but within that first year, uh, Rise launched a, a series of PSAs, um, and the PSAs were centered around taking the Rise Pledge, which is basically a commitment to do your part to uh, work to end discrimination, to treat everybody with respect, um, and to really formalize your commitment to being you know, being the change as it relates to race relations in our, in our country. Um, and sort of in that first year, in terms of, you know, outreaching to partners, they had reached out to the PAC 12 to establish a partnership um, and just to really introduce their work and their programming. Cause it was the very first year. And I still, I remember I was on a conference call, um, you know, getting the introduction to them and their mission and Ryan's mission is to, harness unifying nature of sport to improve race relations and drive social progress, which like to me was like, uh, okay, like 
yes, yes, yeah, yeah, like, yes. This, this is what this is what I want to do. Um, and I was just blown away by the fact that there was an entire there was an organization solely dedicated to that work um, in the sports space, right? Like, I think that at some at some point, like or level, like we're all we've all been attracted to sports or fans of sports. Um, because of what, of what it can do, right? Like mm-hmm. sport really is unique in the fact that it can bring people together like very few things can. And I would, I would argue like really like nothing can. Um, and it's, that's a tremendously powerful, you know, that's just tremendously powerful in and of itself. So having an organization that um, seeks to leverage that power and to direct it towards improving um, our society specifically as it relates to race relations was just like, I was like, whoa, like, this is amazing. Like I've got to like learn more about them and um, wanted to make sure that I continued to follow what they, they were doing. Um, even when I transitioned away from the PAC 12 um, footnote uh, rise does have a really robust partnership with the PAC 12 and they've been amazing as far as integrating rise programming and messaging into all of their um, championship events which is huge. Um, and again, no surprise because it's in complete, in complete alignment with who they are as a, as a brand and as a conference and as a company. So um, incredibly thankful now to also be able to still be connected to the conference um, through my work at Rise. Um, I forgot the original question. So you were following along. You were, you were still, you were like cyber stalking Rise. I have a little bit of cyber stalking. Yeah. Um, yeah and, fine saw that they had an opening uh, to direct events and programming uh, for the Southern region. And I was in Tampa at the time and really felt like, again, like when I feel the need to explore things or it just, it just made sense to me. And I wanted to explore the opportunity and at least at the very least learn more about it. Um, And so I applied online and had conversations um, with their team and just really felt that for me at the end of the day, I think as a, as a human, as a person, um, I really want to, and there's a variety of, way, of ways to do this or to accomplish this. But for me, it's really important that um, the work that I do is directly related to positively impacting society, like whether that's through community relations, whether experiential marketing, whatever the case may be, but learning about rise and quite frankly particularly in this time that we're in I think that that the work that we do is so desperately needed and I really felt like this was the time to be to be a part of it like what better time than now um, to be fully committed to really again back to experiential marketing but like articulating our mission through experience like mm-hmm. gets to touch gets to touch on the creativity bone um, you know allows me to have to be able to work with amazing partners on the professional and collegiate level, but ultimately working towards the goal of educating fans, athletes, and the industry, quite frankly, on, you know, how we can all work together to improve race relations and to address um, some of the inequity that, that we're surrounded by, um, you know, in the world and in our nation um, and also in sport. So, you know, having an opportunity to, sort of 
have a job that allows me to do work with that lens and that ultimate goal is again a dream come true so I'm pretty happy right now yeah well I mean a couple of things right so I remember the day after the election in 2016 and you coming into my office and we just shut the door because both of us were not happy. We just, we just needed a moment. We needed a moment yeah. to gather ourselves. I mean, I had my door closed the whole day. I couldn't, I could barely deal with people. Um, but when you, not too long after that, at least in my brain, um, got the position with Rise, I was like, yeah. Of course, like that. Yes, that fits you. Um, and I don't know, there was like a little fire inside you, I think, once that, you know, that happened. And I, lo- I loved seeing it. Well, thanks. You're I mean, welcome. I think. Um, yeah, I think that's accurate for sure. Um, I, I just. I think it's, it's, that's definitely a part of it, but I think that for me, it's also, because before that, that was something that I was, I've just always been interested in. And I think that another sort of dimension to this is kind of progressing through my career and getting the, you know, amazing opportunities that I've been afforded. And, you know, I realize how, you know, lucky I've been um I also think that it's it's important to be intentional about the work that you do especially as you like you know get older (laughs) per se oh my god I'm rolling my eyes at you okay but you you know what I mean like I know what you mean as uh, on your career path you know like right I've uh, at least on my path I've been able to sort of like refine a little bit like with each with each step right like taking the experience and the skills and, um, you know, everything that I can out of the positions that I've had. And then with each one, like being able to refine a little bit more, be a little bit clearer about what I want to do and how I want to, I mean, how I want to live my life really. Cause like work is a big part of our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what resonates most with me about my current role is that it just aligns with my core values and, so many ways. Right. And, and, and being able to go to work or to work in a space where like, that's not a distraction or a consideration. It's like a hundred percent, like I believe in this a hundred percent and I'm going to do, I'm going to work my ass off to like help realize this mission is, it's just refreshing and nice and swim worthy. It's it's fun-worthy, for sure. Yeah. No, I I hear that. And, you know, because you're just so amazing, which you are, reading is so important for personal and professional development. 
When you don't have the time, though, you need to get that knowledge somehow. One of the ways that I like to do that is by using Blinkist. I use the app when I'm traveling to a conference or commuting for work. Blinkist is the only app that takes thousands of the best-selling nonfiction books and distills them down to their most impactful elements, so you can read or listen to them in under 50 minutes, all on your phone. With Blinkist, you will expand your knowledge and learn more in just 15 minutes than you can in almost any other way. Plus, you can listen anywhere. The Blinkist library is massive, from timeless classics like The Miracle Morning to current Amazon bestsellers like 12 Rules for Life. My personal recommendation is to check out You Are a Badass by Jennifer Sincero, mostly because you are a badass, all of you. Um, Blinkist is constantly curating and adding new titles from best of lists, so you're always getting the most powerful ideas in a made-for-mobile format. Five million people are using Blinkist to expand their minds 15 minutes at a time. Get started today. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash playing to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash playing to start your free seven-day trial. You can cancel anytime. Blinkist.com slash playing. You were now promoted, so you're kind of big time now. Oh my gosh. I was promoted, and I'm very excited about my promotion and my role. Um, and again, like, right place, right time, and extremely lucky. And, you know, I'm now, and yeah, I, I got a promotion. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. feel very comfortable speaking about it, though, as you can see. You're now <laughs> vice president of events and programming and um, living in the big city. You had to move away from us. Um, up to New York, but, um, you know, I can, you know, whenever you and I talk, I can, you know, kind of hear it, that you're so excited. And, um, one of the things that, wait, is this before or after I like cry when I get off the subway is like, it must be before that. Well, listen, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm going to get used to it. I'm going to get used to it. It's amazing. It's an amazing system. This California girl will conquer. It's going to be okay. You'll, you'll figure it out. I have total faith in you. Um, I will say that I also, when I was in New York recently had like a panic attack because I couldn't figure out like how anything worked. So it's fine. Um, (laughs) one of the things that your organization, um, does, and I think does really well is, um, works to educate people on their, on, you know, getting out and voting, um, particularly athletes, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, can you talk a little about that? Sure. So, um, the rise to vote initiative is one of our key initiatives, um, at rise and it's a completely nonpartisan, uh, effort to register voters. Uh, so we, we work with, as you alluded to, we work with um, collegiate athletes, professional athletes, and also their fans on ensuring that folks are registered to vote or enabling them to register to vote and using, again, using sports as that key connector um, when it comes to athletes on both the professional and um, collegiate level. It's, you know, really sharing the importance of voting, you know, for some, some athletes, 
especially on the collegiate level, it may be their first time, you know, when they're 18 and over and are, are able to exercise that right, or they may have moved to a different state to attend college. Um, but we really take an opportunity to um, really just share the importance of civic engagement and like, regardless of, you know, what your political affiliation may be or, or what causes you believe in exercising your right to vote, one, being able to register to vote or being registered is crucial, right? Right. And two, being able to leverage, to, to exercise that right, um, to really demonstrate, you know, what you believe in. Like this is, voting is a, is a key right, um, is, is a right of, it's all of our rights, right? As citizens, we have a right to vote. So we should be aware of that right. We should be registered to vote so that we're able to exercise that right. And then, you know, in addition to that, as athletes, being able to leverage your platform as, you know, a professional or student athlete to encourage others to also be civically engaged. You know, um, I think the, 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 what's it called? It's completely lost, but like go <laughs> casting your ballot or casting your vote is one way to, um, to show up like for yourself uh, and for the causes that you believe in. And so I think it's, it's we've been really um, fortunate to have an opportunity to share that message um, with athletes and then also extend that to fans. So again, harnessing that the unifying nature of sport to communicate that message. And um, obviously this year is a year where we have a lot of uh, key elections and, and just making sure that, that folks have access to the right to vote is what is what we strive to do um and then also to to encourage athletes to leverage their platforms um to encourage others to do the same because again it's 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 our right as citizens and we should uh be able uh, to exercise it and so i've been really uh excited to be able to be a part of that initiative my colleague um adam actually runs our program and he's done an amazing job of growing it uh, and I've had a chance to be involved on the, both in the sessions, but then also in our fan activation um, that's centered around voting, which I love because you're able to not only register to vote, but then you're able to pair that with an, with an amazing photo and GIF um, that you can then share on social media. <laughs> Wait, there's a GIF? They also need to register to vote. There's a GIF involved? Um, yes, there's a GIF involved. I miss this. How do I get to register to vote? Man, I gotta go to one of these one of these days. Um, you really do, and it also has amazing signs. So you get to pick your sign. Like nice. I registered to vote. Um, our nation needs you on its team. Vote, and then I, I have all other really cool ones that are sports specific, like voting as a touchdown or a home run. Oh my god! And now you get to show everybody how great it is that you are now registered to vote. That's fantastic. Oh, I love I, I love that program so much. And it um, there's a really unique thing, you know, with college students, but also professional athletes. And that's where their full time residence is, is not always where their work residence is. Right. And there is like their quote unquote legal residence. Right. And so every once in a while particularly the younger they are, because again, you know, how would you know this? Not knowing 
how to register to vote or if you're registered to vote or if you're allowed to register to vote where it is that you work versus where you claim your legal residence, right? If you happen to say work outside of Florida and claim your legal residence in Florida because taxes, um, you know, that can be really hard to navigate. And, you know, we, we've seen it pop up in news stories in the past about athletes not having voted or not being sure if they were able to vote in the location where they were. And so this is so, so good and so important and, you know, helps just continue to educate. And then maybe they look into what happens with, you know, um, uh, those ballots that you get sent at home that I can't think of the name of right now. You Ab- know. Absentee ballot. Thank you. Uh, that. You're so welcome. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think another dimension for athletes is, you know, professional and collegiate is, you know, if you're in season during, you know, during on election day, like you said, like it's, it's good to know what your options are and to be able to request an absentee ballot if you need to do that in your state. And, you know, make sure that you don't miss out on that opportunity, uh, you know, because you might be on the road, which is something that we've run into this year and being able to kind of bridge that gap for, for athletes and, and just provide them with that information so that, you know, they're equipped and, and ready and, and are able to, to vote regardless of where they might be on election day. Oh, that's so good. And so, you know, quick reminder to everyone listening, uh, election day is November 6th. Uh, if you're in a state that has early voting, go and do it. Just do it. Do it now. Do it like while you're listening to this. Um, make sure that everyone you know has a way to get to the polls. Help out if you can. And, um, you know, do the damn thing. Amen. Did you register to vote in New York? I feel like you're getting really personal with me now, Bobby Sue. Okay. Of course. so so uh for our listeners we have a friend who um had not registered to vote for the uh florida primaries don't even get me started (laughs) and i i was telling anna this via text and the (laughs) she she shamed our friend and i think it was appropriate and okay yeah so this this is like the personal side now like this is like anna carissa johnson the human person which actually has been the entire conversation but i mean like come on now you can't be either one of our friends and not like we have to at least let you know about yourself right and you know what you choose to do is on you but we have given you the information and we have armed you and And we've also maybe slightly shaded you to encourage you to get out there and, and do what you got to do. Listen, shame can be a good tool from time to time to get people to behave like adults that are engaged in their communities. And so it worked. She's registered to vote for the general. So we're excited this midterm, whatever. And we will be. Yes. She's going to, she's going to be awesome. And it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. So, um, Tell me one other big, like big thing that you work on at Rise, and you know, as you're telling me that, how can people learn more about Rise? Well, thank you for that um, assist. 
see that basketball terminology that I just used. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also love that movie, by the way. I'm going all the way back to Love and Basketball right now. What, Love and Basketball? I mean, it, how could you not? It was absolutely it a classic. Has been one of one of my favorite movies of all times. We're gonna need a separate conversation just to like really like dig into that. Um, That's fine. All right, go on. So yeah, yeah. There's, so there are a lot of very exciting things that we're working on um, at Rise. I think obviously I'm work in our events and programming department, and we are in the midst of creating a brand new fan engagement uh, experience that I can't really give tons of details on right now, but I'm super excited about it, and we will be bringing it to um, all of our major partners this year. So if you are at Super Bowl, you should come see us um, at Super Bowl Experience, and we'll also be bringing it to, like I said, all of our professional partners throughout the year. Um, and I think the best way that I can describe it without spilling too much is it will be a multi-sensory experience that really brings our mission to life. So let that run, you know, let your mind run wherever it wants to run with that. But um, it's designed to, uh, to educate, uh, to evoke empathy and to inspire action. So pretty much I'm in like my creative playground and I'm just, bursting with excitement i can't wait for the rest of the world to see what we've been cooking up um you know as it relates to fan engagement and um yeah as it relates to fan engagement and and activations and we're lucky to be able to bring that to the public on a lot of amazing stages so stay tuned on that but to learn more about rise you can visit us online at www.risetowin.org um, you can find out everything you'd ever want to know about us there. Follow us on social media at, at Rise to Win. Um, and we also have like a monthly newsletter that you can sign up for. And is it Rise? Um, great per- I just want to Rise to Win. Is it a letter like the letters T O or is it a number? It is Rise, R I S E T O W I N dot org. And then the handle is the same thing, R-I-S-E-T-O-W-I-N. But I think a great thing to do for folks who are interested in learning more about RISE is obviously visit our website. And then um, the first sort of step you can take is taking our pledge um, and showing your commitment to be part of the solution and to commit to um, helping to end discrimination and really treating all folks with respect and dignity um, which I think is a great pledge to live by and an easy thing to do to, you know, just show your commitment. So and make the world better and make the world better. Yes. And so we're all, we're all, we're all trying to do that. Right. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. I know you and I are. I mean, yeah, I have questions about some other people. Um, what do you do by way of self-care? Oh my gracious. Well, funny that you should mention that. Um, I, I'm actually looking at my nails right now in horror because they look like I've been like, I don't even know what they look like. They look horrific, but what I try to do is I love getting manicure pedicures. So I do those like pretty regularly, like every other week. I also am obsessed with, um, massages so I don't know if like are we allowed to give a plug for a massage app on here but I use massage app 
allows you to have an on-demand masseuse to your home within an hour, which is very, it comes in handy. I haven't used it since I've moved to New York, but when I, when I lived in Miami, I was all about it. And it's, it's amazing. Like just when you just need that, you know, in a home masseuse. I mean, yeah, you're fancy. I get it. No, I mean, no, no. It's just self-care is important. It and is. For me, those are things that I like to do. Um, but I'm really like, I haven't gotten there yet. And I'd be interested. I don't know if you do this, but I've heard that taking the time to meditate meditate every day is like amazing and restorative and great. And I have, I've taken the first step as in I've downloaded yet another app that's supposed to remind me to meditate. Sure. And, Guide, guide me through those meditations. So I've had that for about two weeks and every time it goes off, I'm doing something and I like look at it and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'll get to that tomorrow. So I'm committing today to, I think I'm going to start that tomorrow. I'll let you know how it goes. You should, so um, the one that, I, so I like Headspace. Um, I I don't know why I like Andy's voice. It's fine. Um, but what People have told me, and when I'm doing it regularly, there's I can there's a huge difference, I can tell. Um, yeah. But what most people will say is to do it, like, right when you wake up. Like, as the first thing. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't like, don't look at Instagram. Don't do any of that stuff. Do, like, while your brain is still kind of in that really um, creative space too right after sleep to do it like mm-hmm. the first like however long it is and start at like three or five minutes right ten minutes whatever you don't have to do it for a ton even even just that little amount of time is helpful and it um you know starts your day off really well right so i'll do it tomorrow morning if you do it tomorrow morning i'm gonna do it i'm gonna text you okay good um <laughs> And with that, I think I'm going to let you go to sleep because I know that that's also something that you prioritize. You're really good about that. That is true. We are now 56 minutes past my bedtime, but it was worth every minute. I'm so excited that I was able to be on your podcast. I'm so excited that you were on too. I've been wanting to do this with you for a while and I knew that things were kind of, you were jumping all over the place so i wanted you to settle in a little bit before uh before we did it but um i just you know i you know this i love your organization i love what it stands for and what it does and um i love that you're involved with it because you and your amazingness and you know you're you're killing it and it makes me so happy and proud to be a friend of yours and you know be able to be there along the way all right you're gonna make me emotional so i think this is probably a good time to go ahead and wrap this on up (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you for being on (laughs) thank you for having me love ya Thank you so much to Anna for taking the time to speak with me. It felt like just one of our normal conversations, and I I love that. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, Rise is doing so many great things. And, you know, one thing I do want to make clear, even though I make my little 
snide comments about politics and things like that from time to time rise um, and their rise to vote initiative is nonpartisan. Um, that's really important to get across because, you know, and, and I do think I say this a fair amount. Um, I just, I want people to vote. Uh, you know, you may have different opinions than I do. You may have different beliefs than I do, and that's fine. Um, you know, I'll argue with you maybe, but I, you know, I'm never going to get mad that you voted. Um, and I think, you know, it's just so important that everyone get out there and vote. So I did want to make it really clear because I know that, you know, things can be, I don't know, misinterpreted in interviews or as we're speaking. And I didn't want any of my biases to um, cloud up the great work that RISE does on a nonpartisan basis. So um, thank you to Anna. Thank you to all of you. We are at episode 49, which means the next one is 50. And I don't know what we're going to do. And I don't know what that voice just was. Um, but I'm hoping it's going to be great. I'll come up with something. Um, please make sure you're following us on all the social at LTPF pod. Um, email us at LTPFpod dot at gmail.com and check out ltpfpod.com. That's our website. Um, you can subscribe, rate and review. I would really appreciate all of the reviews. Can we get to 50 for the 50th episode we're at 45 right now can you guys get us up to 50 that would be really cool if you could do that in the next week um it just takes a moment uh go to apple Podcasts. i guess google is now google Podcasts. i was told thanks troy um stitcher tune in and radioinfluence.com to listen in um and thank you thank you so much you know for listening like i said when claire um said that she listens and loves the podcast and i was at this lawyer event and it wasn't sports related uh i was blown away i i honestly the fact that you listen to my voice is shocking to me and i'm very humbled by it and i appreciate all of you i hope you have a wonderful week bye now Zemek, and with Saqib Ali, I am the co-host of the Tennis with an Accent podcast. Don't you want tennis to be talked about the way tennis fans like to talk about the sport? And don't you want a tennis podcast that is tailored to a person who appreciates the sport of tennis? I'm not talking about the casuals. I'm talking about the diehards, the tennis junkies, the people who love the sport beyond just the superstars. We'll talk about Federer. We'll talk about Nadal and Djokovic and Serena and Halep. We can definitely talk about those players all day and we're happy to but we're also going to take you behind the scenes and talk about other players that tennis fans want to know a little bit better Sakib and I talk to coaches we talk to historians we also talk to journalists and former players we offer perspectives around the world in many different accents and that's why we call ourselves the Tennis with an Accent podcast it's available on Apple Podcasts Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play and RadioInfluence.com 